Open your Bibles to Psalm 51, and uh, I want to talk about serving the Lord today, and, and, I, and I want to say this, why did Jack go to Haiti? And I don't want him to answer, and I don't want you to answer, I'm going to answer. <laughs> I want you to think a minute, why did Jack go to Haiti? He went to Haiti... Because he is consecrated to God. Now, consecration is not a word that we use very often, but we're going to use it in the next four weeks. So I want to talk about the concept of being consecrated to God. Um, Jack is not the greatest Christian in the world. That, that's not what consecration means. But what consecration means is to be Set apart for the Lord's work, whatever you do. One of the greatest verses on this, I think, is 2 Corinthians 8.5. And in 2 Corinthians 8.5, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians about a ministry they promised to do, very similar to this one. That is, they had promised to give money to poor Christians in Jerusalem. And he's talking to them about some other Christians who already gave And he said, I want you to know that these people gave, but they didn't do it like we expected. All the Apostle Paul expected was an offering. But what they did was they gave themselves to the Lord. And then they gave. They consecrated themselves. They put themselves at God's disposal. This week... uh, We've been thinking about a very small ministry that needs to be done in the church on a regular basis. And uh, I asked Sarah to give somebody a call. I said, would you call some, this person and say, we have such and such a ministry we'd like you to do. And uh, we know it's not a huge ministry, but we think it's important and we'd like you to do it. And so Sarah called and the person said, yes, I'll do it. And they came in and we talked about it. And when they came in, they told us this. They said, you know what? you are always harping, uh, no, you're always talking about serving the Lord. (laughs) And I just haven't found a place where I fit in to serve. And just last night I said, I'll do whatever the Lord wants me to do. I'll do the next thing the Lord brings to me. And And the next morning we called and they said, yes, I'll do that. That's consecration. It's putting ourselves at God's disposal. There's a world that needs the ministry of God, which he has chosen to accomplish through us. But ministry only happens when people have given themselves to God. In the next four weeks, I want to talk to you about what it means to give yourself to God for his service. And this week we want to start with the foundational principle, which is this. Consecrated people live righteously. From Psalm 51, please follow as I read. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part you will make me no wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then... I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. I want you to understand today, when we talk about righteousness, it's very important to know that righteousness is God's desire for us. Look at Psalm 51, verse 16. David, writing in the Old Testament time period in which the temple was going to be built soon, the tabernacle of worship is standing, he says, the sacri- excuse me, you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These you will not despise. David lived in a time when people offered animal sacrifices as a primary means of worship as a primary means of confessing sin. God had set it up. You can read about it in the first five books of the Old Testament. God set up a whole system, and he said, when this happens, do this, and when this happens, do that, and every so often, do this. There was a whole system of offering sacrifices, and David says, you don't want a sacrifice. Now, is David all of a sudden throwing out the whole Old Testament legal system? No. What he's pointing out is, God doesn't want our busyness or our religious activity. He wants our heart. I think it's well summarized in part of that that Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 10. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It's so easy to think that serving the Lord is about doing things, period. When what it's really about is giving ourselves to the Lord, and then when he calls or when we see a ministry, we say, I want to do that. Out of this heart for the Lord. It's great that you you want to give to support these folks in Haiti. If the rest of you weren't moved to give, you got hard hearts. Now, you may not all be able to give. Some of you might only be able to give a little bit. But there should be something in us that goes, 
man, they're doing a great work. They're not only caring for those kids, but they're taking them to church, trying to raise them up to know the Lord. That's the kind of thing I want to invest in. But that only comes out of a righteous heart. If we're coming to church because it's the thing to do on Sunday, if we're coming to church because somebody else is dragging us in here, or maybe we're even more devious than that, we're coming to church because we want people to think we've got it all together. If that's why we're coming to church, then when the missionary gets up and talks, you'll most likely be absent. You know there's folks who say, oh, we're having a missionary, oh, we're having a missionary talk. Jeez, they're probably going to show pictures, talk about those people halfway around the world. You know, the problem is not the missionary or their talking. The problem is we're not, there's not something in us going, wow, what a great world is out there, and what a great ministry. That only comes from a righteous heart. God wants our holiness. Anything else disappoints him. Offering God religious activity instead of genuine righteousness is like a wayward husband giving his wife gifts when what she really wants is his complete love and devotion. Can you imagine coming home from a tryst going, hey, got you a nice bracelet, dear. Don't worry about that other woman. It's just a physical thing. And if your wife's any kind of woman at all, she's going to go and get her baseball bat and whack you square on the head and say, buddy, I'm looking for your heart. And that's what God wants. He wants our heart. And if he has our heart, he will move and we will move. But if he doesn't have our heart, nothing's going to happen. Or what happens really won't please him. David Do you know what David is talking about here? David has sinned with Bathsheba. He's committed adultery, murder, lying. And yet he was the guy who said, God, I want to build you a temple. And now he says, I get it, God. It's not about my activity. It's about my heart. How do we become righteous? Righteousness is a gift from God. Look at chapter 51 of Psalms here, verse 1. Look how David cries out for righteousness. Have mercy on me according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. You blot out my transgressions. You wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. You cleanse me from my sin. I will acknowledge my transgressions and my sin, which is always before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. I was brought forth in sin and iniquity. My mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." The hyssop is a reference to the way the sacrifices were made in the Old Testament. And they would take this certain branch and dip it in the blood and sprinkle it. In particular, he's probably referring all the way back to the first Passover. And he says, you, God, you cleanse me. We need to understand that righteousness is the gift of God. We don't do a bunch of things to earn God's righteousness or to demonstrate how great we are. 
The one thing that God wants from us is what this psalm talks about, and it's the word confession. Faith in God is evidenced by confession. And there are two aspects to confession. The first is this. Our first confession brings salvation. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The word confession in the New Testament means to agree with God or literally to say the same thing. So what do we have to confess to if we're going to be saved? We have to agree with God, number one, that we're a sinner and we can't save ourselves. We have to agree with God that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who died on the cross and shed His blood to pay for our sins, to satisfy God's wrath. We have to agree with God that the only access to that, to that gift through Christ comes by faith in Him. And when we agree with all those things with our heart, God says that's when we become a true believer, when He makes us born again, makes us a child of His. We have to confess for the very first time. That's the very first real confession that we make. And when you confess that, you will receive the righteousness of Christ. You will be made righteous by God. You will please God and you will be prepared to serve Him. That's a one-time confession. And then there's a need for consistent confession. Not that we have to get saved over and over or start our life of faith over and over, but that we have to maintain our life. David is writing this psalm as a believer in God. He's writing it as a believer. And so we look at verse 2, he says, wash me. We look at verse 7, he says, purge or cleanse me. And we look at verse 11, then he says, Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Now we have to make a little theological sidetrack to make sure you don't get confused here. In the Old Testament, the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit was on certain people, for certain acts, for certain periods of time, and it was possible for God to remove that indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. That is not the case now. You should not pray, don't take your spirit from me. But what David is alluding to is a possibility with us, and that is a cloud between us and God. If this represents God, and I am over here, this is my sin as a believer. There is a roadblock between me and God. There is a cloud in our relationship. When you do something mean to one of your loved ones, there is a cloud in your relationship. It has to be restored by confessing, by admitting, I did wrong. And then there is forgiveness extended, and then the roadblock is taken out of the way, and you can be together in close fellowship again. And that's what our ongoing, consistent confession does. It keeps us close to God. Do you want to know how to stay righteous and to be constantly ready to serve God? This is probably the most profound thing I'll say today, so you might want to write it down. Confess the first sin. Now, which other sin could you confess? Oh, the 14th or the 25th. Do you know what I'm talking about? Let's say that this platform represents the Christian life. Okay? 
And at some point I go, hmm, I like sin better. And then from that point I go, there's a good sin. There's a good sin. Boy, I like that one. I love that one. And pretty soon, you know where I'm standing? I'm way out here and I'm looking back at the Christian life going, how in the world did I get here? And frankly, depending on which sins those are, you could be muddled and mired in such a way that you think, God won't forgive, I can never get back. But here's the, here's the, here's the it's profound. When you go right out here, go, God, no! That's wrong! I'm not going to walk there. How did David get to be a murderer and a liar and the scorn of all Israel? Because he let go of lust. You know, murder, excuse me, adultery wasn't David's first sin. It was lust. He looked over from his rooftop and he saw the beautiful woman taking a bath. And right then he stepped one step off the life. And he should have turned around and went, God, that is wrong. And he should have went and got his harp and played the harp for a while. But he didn't. He went, ooh, go get her for me. And he laid with her. And she got pregnant, so he killed her husband. And he lied and... And, and David got way out there, and he lost the kingdom temporarily, and he lost some of the blessing God had intended for him. Oh, God's, God forgave him. He confessed, and God forgave. But let me plead with you, Christian. Confess the first sin as soon as it happens. Don't be too proud to say, God, I did it again. Please help me. I'm turning. Confess the first sin. That's how you... If you do that consistently, you know what other people will think about your life? They'll say, that guy lives like a Christian. They won't know about all those little times when you took that first step. Because the the pattern of your life will be this. And if that's the pattern of your life, you will be ready to serve the Lord whenever the call comes. We had a friend in Tukwila who was a great gardener. I mean, an exceptional gardener. And, uh, you know, every year he would have what he called a corn feed and service not only corn but other things out of his garden and fresh strawberry ice cream. I mean, and he had the best recipe ever, anywhere. He picked the weeds out of his garden every day. His wife said he could hear them growing. <laughs> I mean, you could look at his garden any time and it looked perfect all the time. But it's because every day, every day, every day he worked on it. And he had wonderful produce. It doesn't take long for weeds to overrun a garden. They will steal the water and the sunlight and the growing room in the ground. Some weeds are even noxious to other plants. Christian, you will always be tempted to sin until you meet Jesus someday. And sometimes you will give in to those temptations. But if you confess the first sin, as soon as it happens, 
You can stay close to God and be ready to be used by Him always. Righteousness is God's gift. Righteousness requires God's truth. Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When I was a kid, our neighbor used to hire me once in a while to do some yard work. Not every week. I, I guess paying me two bucks to mow the lawn was too rich for his blood. <laughs> Boy, I love getting that two bucks, you know. But one time he asked me to weed his garden or his flower, flower beds around the house. Only one time, because I gave them a real vigorous weeding. I was very sincere, and I was not trying to show off, but I didn't know the difference between a weed and a plant. It goes without saying, but maybe it doesn't. God's truth is the key to maintaining righteousness. How are you going to know when you step off the Christian life if you don't know God's word? It's the only way to know the difference between right and wrong. And it is a lifelong endeavor. The only way we can confess or agree with God is to learn what he thinks. The only way we can know God's thoughts is to be in the word. God's truth is the key to maintaining righteousness. It's also the key content in our ministry. If you're going to be used by God to do his work, you have to have his truth on your mind and heart. We had a relative who was a missionary, and their whole ministry was planting trees in Haiti. They didn't start a church. If they witnessed, we didn't hear about it. And I'm here to tell you that kind of ministry is born out of an ignorance of God's truth. Well-meaning, altruistically positive, a nice thing to do, a needful thing to do, but not born out of God's truth. How are you going to know how to serve the Lord? How are you going to know where to give your money? If you don't know God's truth, God's truth is the key content of ministry. You all know what a deputy sheriff is. Some of you probably met one of them this week while you were driving down the road. Do you know what the word deputy means? It means one designated or empowered to act for another. The second meaning in the dictionary is this, an assistant exercising full authority in the absence of his or her superior and equal authority in emergencies. There is a sheriff, and he has deputies. They don't get to do just whatever they want. They, are, they have the law, and they have the policies and procedures of the sheriff's office, And they are deputized to act in the sheriff's absence. The sheriff can't be everywhere in the county. He can't be very many places, only one at a time. And so the deputies go out and do what he would do if he was there. You and I are God's deputies in the ministry. And this is his procedure manual. Look at these verses that talk about us being connected with God. We are God's fellow workers. 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's as close to a deputy as you can get. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, you're reconciled to God. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. These are just three examples of verses that say we are here doing God's work. And we cannot do God's work right if we haven't read the procedure manual, the policy manual. If we want to be used by God, we need to be in his word. Number four, righteousness requires effort. Uh, 2 Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are all diligent in some areas. Yesterday, I was fairly diligent at building a rock wall. I, I, you know, you've seen some pictures how I started that. Well, we finally got around to finishing the little corner, which is going to provide a little patio and some other little areas out there. And uh, it was easier to be diligent yesterday because Raul gave me a birthday present of a day's work on the backyard. I can be all kind of diligent on that. Uh, would you lift that? Would you move that? Would you get that? Would you do that? I know all about that. And, and plus I played the my knees are wearing out card over and over. <laughs> and they are. But I wasn't real diligent because when we got done and looked at that wall, there's some gaps. But it'll be kind of covered up so it won't matter too much. Do you approach serving the Lord that way? Or knowing his word that way? Or are you as diligent about knowing God's word and serving God as you are about going to work? Or as you are on getting there on time? I had a job one time putting potatoes in boxes. I was a mission pastor in eastern Washington, and a guy in my church ran this potato plant. And when it ran, you know, we talked about it. And I used to I'd do a little painting or a little this, a little that to supplement our income because we, we didn't, never did have a full income according to the mission. And... So he said, hey, we're going to run potatoes for two weeks. You want to work? I said, sure. So I show up to work, and they gave me the gravy job. I have to stand here, and the boxes would come by with potatoes, and there's a scale. And I would look at the scale, and there was a range. It had to be not, you know, less than this, not more than that. I'd take one out, I'd put one in, and I'd send them on. And that was my life for two weeks. The first day, they said, we need to see your Social Security card, which I don't carry on my person. I said, here's the number. No, nope, we've got to see your Social Security card. And the next day, I came back, and they said, we've got to see your Social Security card. And I said, ah, oh, shoot. And they said, if you don't bring it tomorrow, don't come to work. That's my deacon talking to me. And I got the message, and I got there with my Social Security card the next day. See, there are some things that we can be diligent about. But then there's some other things that we go, well, it doesn't matter too much. And God says we should be diligent about knowing this. And if you really want to serve the Lord well, you need to be diligent about knowing God's word. If you're going to be a consecrated servant, you need to know God's word. The fourth aspect of righteousness that I want to share with you today in terms of our consecration for service is this. Righteousness needs encouragement. There are two complementary truths 
The first of which is negative, the second is positive. The negative truth is this. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Put it in real plain terms, sinful friends encourage sinful living. You can dodge that all you want. You can try to explain it away. But the more you hang out with sinful people, the more likely you are to act sinfully. The converse truth is this. Godly friends encourage godliness or godly living. And it comes from Hebrews 10. Let us encourage, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm telling you, when you come here today and you hear this great report about Haiti, you think, oh, that's a great thing. I want to do something like that someday, or I want to give to that, or, or whatever. And you go out where the sinful people are, and you hear what they're talking about, and your heart's not going to be drawn to God's service. Now, I'm not saying abandon your friends who are unbelievers. Oh, absolutely not. You should be trying to win them to the Lord, which requires having a relationship with them. But there's a difference between purposefully pursuing unbelievers and loving them to Christ and hanging out with them and let them influence you for sin. You need to be here in part to be encouraged to do the right thing. It's not just about me preaching, or it's not even just about us singing, or that sort of thing. It's about us coming together and saying, isn't God great? And you go out of here going, boy, boy, I forgot that last week. And you go out going, yes, God is great. Or you go out of here with a, a testimony or an example, or you learn something from God's truth. I was with somebody this week, and we got talking about something, and they go, yeah, you know, you said something. Somebody said something like this. And they, they quoted something that I said in a sermon, and I thought, I don't care who they attribute that to. Because if they get something righteous, and they go out, and it changes their life, I think, praise the Lord, that's what's supposed to happen here, whether it's from me or you. And what I want you to understand, if you want to be a servant of God, you need the encouragement that only the body of Christ brings. Consecrated people regularly gather with God's people because they know the importance of being influenced by born-again godly people. Most of you can't help the fact that you work in an office or a factory with mostly unbelievers. And that's the way, that's the way our lives are. In fact, there's a good side to that. You can, you can witness to them for the Lord. But you need to regularly spend time with God's people. You know, that's the genius of camp ministry is not only are we a lot of Christians and a few unbelievers together, and not only is the uh, culture organized around Christian concepts and run by Christian ideals, but we exclude the TV and we exclude the radio and the, un the influences of the world, and the result is there's all of this Christian world, and we shouldn't be shocked when people get saved. They get in a week what you coming to church might not get in weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's a wonderful way to, to do God's work. But we can imitate that by saying, I am going to be in the place where God works. There's one more thing I want to share with you about righteousness. And it's so important. Righteousness releases God's responsiveness. Turn with me to Psalm 66. Just a few pages over from where you're at there in Psalm 51. 
and look at verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God. We're talking to righteous people now. And I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth. Put it this way. I prayed to him. And he was extolled with my tongue. But if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Above all the reasons that I've given you to be righteous today, I have to think this is one of the most important, both for your, your daily life and your service. David said, if I hang on to sin, my prayer is worthless. Because God's not going to respond. Now, does that mean that my righteous living gives me the right to expect whatever I want from God? No, it does not. But it gives me the right to expect a response. And it gives me the right to expect that God is hearing and he's at work. And if I am truly righteous and I am not only asking for what I know that I need, I am asking for his best and I can expect to walk through my day going, I wonder how God's going to answer this. I wonder what God's going to do. And to see God's hand. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told us that the unbelievers think prayers are heard because of much speaking or saying a lot of words. Remember what we started with on this sermon? God wants our holiness not our religious busyness. If you want to serve God, and if you anticipate needing to ask God for help, you need to walk in righteousness. Both Jack and I have been volunteer firefighters. You were at EMT also, right? When we, back in the old days, when we went through EMT training, I don't know what it is now, it's it's at least that or more, we had to go through 110 class hours of training, which included some practice, And then we had to go to the emergency room. I went to the old St. Luke's emergency room back in the day. And I think we had to spend 20 hours in observation time. And then we had to pass a uh, written test and a practical test to demonstrate that we we were prepared to uh, do that kind of work in ambulances and so on. At the conclusion of that class, you get a certificate and you get an EMT patch. And the patches themselves are controlled by the state of Washington because they don't want somebody to get a patch and stick it on their arm and say, I'm an EMT. You see, the patch doesn't make you an EMT. It's all of the work that you went through to learn and to practice and to be prepared. That's what makes you an EMT, not the label on the shoulder. God's work is not done by those who just call themselves Christians or who just call themselves servants. God's work is done by those who put themselves at God's disposal, first and foremost, by a righteous life. Heavenly Father, I want to be at your disposal. I know that that is a one-time decision, but it's also an ongoing daily decision. And I want that to be true of my life. Help me to do it better and better day by day, and make that true of more and more people in our church. Father, may this church be a church full of consecrated people, people who have put themselves at your disposal, and because of that, they're saying, I want to be righteous first and foremost. 
Father, if there's somebody here today that's never made that first confession, help them to do it today. Help them to agree with you and to know what it means to be your child in their heart. I pray in Christ's name, amen.